Men are so happy to be in support of and in alliance to women. It's what I believe their natural state is to support women. Women withhold what they really, really want and get really angry and men get more clueless over time and they give up. And I think what, you know, when you say, you know, limiting beliefs about men, like one limiting belief I see is the assumption that men don't want to please women and make them happy. And I think it's absolutely wrong. Most of the men I meet actually secretly want to, they're just in a state of hopelessness about it. And I've had so many experiences with women where women don't ask for what they want and need and think that that's a virtue. And instead it leaves the man useless, turns him into a worm, makes him further, further away. Like I think men's natural role in this world is they love to make women happy. And we won't give that up. We won't let them. Hello, beautiful women, and welcome to the Claimed Podcast. I'm Anna Rova, your host, and let me tell you a little bit about myself if you're new to the podcast. I'm a femininity and feminine embodiment coach, and I run a very powerful program for single successful women who want to attract and keep committed masculine men or women who are already in relationships but want to change that feminine masculine polarity in their relationship. beautiful women and welcome to Claim Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. Her name is Kasia Orbaniak. She has been on the podcast before and this is her second time coming up. I actually released her interview twice before and her interview is in the top three most downloaded. So I actually recommend if you have not listened to her episode, her first one, I recommend that you listen to that because this is going to bring you so much more insight, I guess, and you'll you'll have some context to what we're talking about. So if you go to girlskill.com slash 76, or I think it was also 101. So go to girlskill.com slash 76 and, and you'll get that episode. And then today she comes uh, to us all the way from Hawaii, where she currently resides at the time of this recording. You know, I'm recording this during COVID. Um, so let me tell you about Kasha. She is the founder and the CEO of um, the Academy, a school that teaches women the foundations of power and influence. Kasha's perspective uh, on power is unique. Over the course of nearly 20 years, she has worked as a professional dominatrix, practiced Taoist alchemy in one of the oldest female-led monasteries in China, and obtained dozens of certifications in different disciplines, including medical qigong and systemic constellations. And we actually, in the first interview, we talked about dominatrix, her experience there, what happened there, so on and so forth. That was really, really interesting. Since founding the Academy in 2013, Kasha taught hundreds of women practical tools to step into leadership positions in their relationships, families, workplaces, and wider communities. She has spoken at corporation conferences worldwide. So in today's episode, I mean, we kind of started with big questions and then it led us into this whole discussion. I asked her about her superpower, which is really, really cool how she can read bodies and analyze power structures and things like that. And then this is where we open a can of worms because I asked her what is her biggest fear? And she said, you know, that humans would stop living and women going backwards. And so from there, we went to this whole discussion about, you know, good girl conditioning, good girl outer responder. And that led us to talk about 10 different behaviors that are a conditioned response that comes as a result from this, you know, good girl conditioning. And we talk about, you know, how does a woman look like and what is the 
unconditioned, I guess, response. And, you know, when she said, you know, when a woman is unbound, unleashed and unfurled, this is exactly the place how a woman can live her full life, even in the times of crisis. We discussed the three steps to becoming unbound uh, within you so you can have the life that you want. And then we like we go into this whole polarity thing, a discussion with Kasha and her views on polarity, where her world, basically the conclusion is we do the same kind of work, but in different ways. Uh, she does embodiment work. She works with polarity, but she calls it sub and dom, right? So submissive and dominant. And uh, the, the foundation of her work, which is fascinating, is also embodiment. She just does it in a different way. So we discuss a little bit about that. But it's just amazing to connect to a woman who has so much power and influence and teaches women around the world to access that and that we both are like embodiment to be in your body. That leads us to the discussion that, you know, why a woman's power in the vagina is in her vagina and her pussy and how your pussy needs to participate in the conversation and why being connected to our desires are the root of having the life that we want. Then we talk a little bit about how does that look in men and we finish off with, you know, basically catching us up on what happened in the last two years since I've interviewed her last time. She gave a talk. She finished her book. She, she tells us about her book coming out in March, which I really, really recommend to pre-order. So stay until the end because she's going to talk all about that. Highly recommend. This woman is, is a life force, you know, and I know that you would really, really enjoy it. So I want, I'll stop talking and let you listen. Enjoy. All right, claimed listeners, I want to welcome a special guest who has been on the podcast before. Her name is Kasia Urbaniak. And honestly, this has been, I don't want to even say one of my favorite, but probably the top three of my favorite episodes that I recorded on this podcast, like overall in the last three years. And I'm super excited to have you back, Kasia. Welcome. I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> yeah, I was just re-listening to our conversation that we did two years ago. And I was like, oh my God, like I, I remember now how I felt when I was interviewing you, when it came out and it just created such a hype. And uh, I was just sharing with you since we last talked, your episode, which was released twice, is basically in the top three of all episodes on girl, on well, not girl skills. So lots of things have changed, Kasia. So before we dive into all of that, let me just ask you some um icebreaker questions and we'll see so i remember i asked you these questions two years ago and i'm really curious what are you going to say this time so let's begin with what is your superpower my superpower is the intuitive analysis of power dynamics in any structure and being able to read people's bodily responses mm, okay that's very similar to what you said two years ago so i'll, <laughs> I'll let that pass <laughs> well let's also be real the world two years ago and the world today is night and day. And what that yeah. same superpower reveals is not the same today as it was two years ago. Yeah, I mean, lots of things happen even this year, right? So, yeah, super interesting. I'd love to dive into that um, in a moment. Okay, so moving on, Kasha, I'm really curious. What is your biggest fear? Right now, my biggest fear is that human beings will stop believing in humanity and that women will move a little bit backwards instead of forwards where we need it most right now. Mm. What do you mean by that specifically about women? Do you mean women or we will? Sorry. Both, both. But the way women will move backwards and the way we as a hum human race move backwards isn't necessarily the same. Mm. What do you mean by women moving backwards? All right. So right now we're in a time of crisis. It's a crucible. And when there is crisis, People tend to, as what is normal starts falling apart, there is an opportunity to create a new normal. 
But in the face of that crumbling normal and that abyss of uncertainty, what humans tend to do and what we see a lot of is we go back to the most toxic things we know how to do. So in the face of breakdown, in the face of things falling apart and disintegrating, people will revert back to their worst known behaviors instead of leaping into the unknown and creating something new. Now, overall, like humanity, what that looks like is leaping into fear, into combativeness, into splitting into ideologies, into fervor, into, into chaos, into war. What I'm really concerned about is what happens to the best women on the planet. Because the reversion into reactive behavior for the best women on the planet, the most empowered, impassioned, beautiful-hearted women, is not toxic combativeness. It's actually a response to crisis that looks like going backwards in terms of reverting to norms of female goodness. So yeah, sociopolitically, we might be moving backwards in terms of women losing rights as the chaos grows and the crisis happens. But as individuals, what happens when a single, like a individual, amazing woman faces crisis and fear? What does she do? She doesn't necessarily go get a bunch of guns. Like men would do. Yeah. Or or, or yeah. She reverts to standards of female goodness. What does that mean? Her good girl conditioning kicks in harder than ever. And her reversion to the past toxic behavior doesn't look bad at all. It looks good, but it's incredibly dangerous. So good girl conditioning. What I mean by that? No, the accommodating, the extra work, the not speaking up or speaking up only reactively in the name of righteous justice without having a time to feel. So like... Right now, the academy, my school, is oriented very much towards helping women get unbound and break this good girl conditioning. One of the things that we've identified is that in this like kind of noble-looking reversion to actually devastating behavior patterns that are quote-unquote good, I'm going to be really good because there's a crisis, there's actually 10 different things that get more heavily exacerbated, 10 behavior patterns. So, I mean, I can go into those right now. It's going to take a minute. <laughs> we can wait. But the good, well, we call it the good girl autoresponder because one of the most insidious things about good girl conditioning is we do it before we have a chance to think about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, maybe we'll go into those 10 behaviors. I'm really curious about that. But I... So I know I know what you mean, Kasha, and your whole book is you have a new book coming out, uh, right? In March, yeah. it's called Unbound, um, A Woman's Guide to Power. Uh, this is something we need to catch up on because I know at the time when we were talking about two years ago, you were actually writing it. And now it's like finally coming out, right? And while I was researching and preparing for this podcast, I obviously stumbled upon the good girl autoresponder and all that. So since we're on this t- subject of how a woman response to crisis and how she reverts back into that good girl. I'm, I'm really curious. Can you give us a practical example of a woman that you work with or you know, like here is how she responds and here is w- what is a better response of a not a good girl conditioning? Because I'm thinking of myself, you know, I'm like, oh, interesting. Like, have I been, uh, perhaps I was, you know, because all of us are in this trap, I suppose. Yeah. So could you give us a practical example? Absolutely. You know, They're absolutely all over the place. It's the essence of the 10 responses, good girl, autoresponder list. But, you know, like right now, 
it's really clear that, you know, domestic violence is up. Women are publishing less in academic journals. They're doing more at home. If one partner's work suffers because of the pandemic, it's going to be the women. There's even stories of women wearing masks where men refuse. And overall, like you look globally, female leaders are successful in handling crises where fascist men are disastrous. So now that's like the big level, but on the smaller level, right? The automatic responses is like, first of all, all the invisible labor, invisible labor, right? That includes mental, emotional, physical labor. That means figuring things out for other people. That means wondering what people are thinking, anticipating, looking, looking at a situation and looking how to respond instead of initiating. It's all this extra work in the mind, in the emotional field, working things out emotionally and all this extra, extra physical stuff, whether it's doing extra chores or doing extra favors. And it's automatic. The problem isn't being of service. The problem is that a lot of these responses, a lot of these rules and behavior patterns are invisible. So the, the, the key is to be able to see the invisible, make the invisible visible so you have a choice. So invisible labor is one. And that's clear. Like people are writing about it, talking about it. Women are picking up the slack. The, and they've done really funny studies that reveal that men aren't really having a realistic assessment of how much extra work women are doing. Women know how much they're doing, you know? I see in my classes, they don't know the full extent of it. I have students reporting, hey, I've been working on clearing my invisible labor. And now I'm feeling this like pushback. I'm feeling it come back. I need more training. You know, I want to remember what it is, how I did this in the first place. The next one is automatic consent. Somebody asks you something, you say yes before you've had a chance to think about it. You've had, you said yes, automatic consent. You said yes before you've even had a chance to consider whether it benefits the other person to say yes. Of course, You've said yes so fast. You haven't had a chance to figure out if it's something you can do. It's something for you to do if it benefits you at all. But sometimes those yeses are so fast, they're not even good for the person asking. Another is unnecessary qualification. And this is a longer pattern, but that's another thing that kicks in. In order to go for this job, I need to be able to do that. Or in order to be able to, to say something powerful on social media, I have to be able to prove that I'm legitimate in this and this way. Unnecessary qualification can be, you know, I'm not really deserving of X, Y, and Z. I need to be able to be like this. I need to be able to be thin. I need to be able to have this degree, right? Another thing is false causality. False causality is when... Uh, a woman doesn't have the time or the uh, awareness to check her assumptions about, if I don't do this, this will happen. If I do do this, this will happen. So in times of crisis, she goes directly into those assumptions without ever questioning them. Here's another one. We call them soft expectations. Soft expectations are agreements that are never explicitly verbally made. So if a woman wants to check what the soft expectations are in her professional, social, and romantic relationships, she looks at where do we have kind of an agreement that this is how we go about doing things when I never committed to it, I never said I was going to do it, I never said, I never agreed to it, but I'm doing it like it's an agreement. Like if I stop, I'm breaking something. Another, which we talked about so much during the Me Too movement, and it's still relevant now, is the freeze. It's the freeze. It's like when, when you most want to say something and feel nailed and pinned on the spot, the body shuts down and a woman is unable to speak. We need to retrain that. This is a long list. The next one is secret cushioning. It's when you make 
all the efforts to make something really comfortable for somebody else, even if it means that you're bending over backwards, they have no idea that you're doing it, but you're doing it. You're making life very easy for others and very difficult for yourself. During a time of crisis, secret cushioning everywhere. Basically, you can imagine a woman throwing little pillows around to make everybody feel safe and okay. Again, none of this is bad. It's when it's automatic, not chosen and invisible that it can steal your life force and your, your, your ability to choose. And the last two are really, really big parts of what we do at the Academy. Hidden needs and desires is one of them. So um, a good girl doesn't feel like she should need or want anything. A good girl is low maintenance. She's resourceful. She makes, she makes a wonderful low maintenance wife. She doesn't need anything. She doesn't want it. She's fine. Just fine. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm good. Right? So all those hidden needs and desires become even more difficult to access or speak out loud when there's so much going on. You know, who's going to talk about the dream book they wanted to write? When there's all of the sudden like 10 more people to take care of, suddenly it's like the the access to desires looks like a luxury instead of a necessity. And access to desire is a necessity because it's how you orient yourself in the direction you want to grow. If you don't, if you don't have a sense of desire of moving towards a better vision, then everything is just fixing. It's just putting, you know, tape on holes. And then the final one, which is very body-based very, very body-based. It takes a minute to explain because it's so body-based is the smush compression. So like women now moving from being, you know, property to owning property, women from being objectified to being able to be leaders. Uh, A funny thing has occurred. This smush between I'm too much, I'm, I'm too much, I'm too much, and I'm not enough. And being able to have those fears of being like, oh my God, I'm way too much. I'm over the top. I blow everybody out while also feeling like not enough. I don't have enough qualifications. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. Those two things existing at the same time, they exist in the body in a way they do not exist in men. And you can see it in how a woman walks into a room dressed like an apology, how she cringes. It affects affects her voice, how she phrases things. It affects her communications. It makes people feel unstable, weird, off, not sure if she's asking or telling. Like all of these things ensue and it starts in the body. The smush in the body, that tightrope between too smart, not smart enough, too qualified, not qualified enough, spend too much time caring about my family, not enough time about my family, not enough time about work, too much time caring about work. I'm oversexed. I'm undersexed. I'm frigid. I'm slutty. I'm too obsessed with money. I don't care about money enough. Oftentimes, like at the same time, is kind of a mindfuck that happens from us moving from a submissive position in society into one where we have roles, but like our bodies haven't caught up. So we're on this tightrope, not too much this, not too much this, and there's no room to breathe in between. And it affects the body, therefore affects the voice, it affects communication, it affects how we feel about ourselves, how we speak. And, you know, checking these good girl auto responses The opposite of a good girl isn't a bad girl. We do a lot of fun bad girl exercises in the school, but the opposite of a good girl is not a bad girl. The opposite of a good girl is an unbound woman. It's why the book is called Unbound. It's unleashed, unfurled, like fully there, fully there in all her outrageousness and all her vulnerability. And 
fully occupying this entire space of who she is with her emotions, her desires, her, you know, her, her authoritarian discipline, her messiness, her, her desire to change the world, her desire to really just like hunker down and make it through these times just for the, just as best, best as possible for herself and her family. Like all of that, all of that. And good girl conditioning tightens all of that into a set of behavior patterns that are very convenient for people around her, but destructive to relationships. They're destructive to, to the people around her, even if convenient, very inconvenient and destructive to her. So again, time of crisis, like we have this broad ranging curriculum in the school. We're focusing on this right now because I'm seeing what's happening to the women that I have contact with. I'm seeing that like, it's happening. More automatic consent, more invisible labor. And the problem with a good girl is that the good girl holds it down until she can't anymore. Then when she explodes, it's, it, she explodes. And then she apologizes afterwards. And nobody knows really what happens. They're just like, oh, crazy woman. She had a mood swing. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. So let me interrupt you here for a second, Kasha. So Thank you. I mean, this is all this is all amazing stuff. I love how you how you go about this in a very kind of methodical and how you manage to, you know, break all of these things down, which I absolutely love. So I have a question. So if we go on a practical example, let's say, I don't know, you can tell us about a woman like you see women and like going back to this. Like, so, so for example, it's a woman who has work and has two children, the, the crisis hit. Can you give us an example of how in her daily life she had, let's say, gone back to this autoresponder and how would she have done it differently on a practical level, like day to day? What are the decisions that she, she could have made and didn't make? And how would that look like when she's unbound? Right. So, so, you know, there's, this is kind of like a before and after question. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not out there to make anybody wrong with the way that they are. The woman who's doing invisible labor for everybody, who's picking up the slack everywhere, is also not likely communicating her needs, her desires, and making it clear that she's doing more than her share of the work. So this is a communication problem. A woman who, you know, is freezing or is cushioning or is in the smush to make it really, really simple. The good girl autoresponder may have like 10 methodical characteristics, but really breaking out into a state of unboundedness has three really important steps (laughs) in case you like numbers and steps. The first is seeing. Oh, please hold while I figure out how to put do not disturb on here. (laughs) A really easier lens into how to look at this has to do with these three steps. The first has to do with seeing, seeing the invisible rules, seeing the invisible patterns, making the invisible rules visible. Because all of the things I said about the good girl responder read to us inside as things we have to do. They're like rules we have to follow. It's internalized patriarchy. It's how to be a good wife, how to be a good woman. Those good girl, good woman behaviors can be really, really destructive. They can keep a woman from speaking about the abuse of her child or herself. They keep her from making a fuss. They keep her from making the right kind of fuss, right? So the first thing has to do with seeing, seeing the invisible rules we're following, seeing the conditioning, 
The reason we're locating the autoresponder as a thing is because no woman is to blame for the conditioning. And we want all women in the world to have choice. But when you are not aware of a rule that's being followed, if you're not aware that you have a choice, you don't have a choice. So the first step is the most important because the moment you see an auto response, the moment you see that you're doing invisible labor, you can choose to stop or not. The moment you see that you're, you know, doing an unnecessary qualification, the moment you see that you're behaving in ways that you think you have to in order to, or like, when I get this together, I can start living my life. When you start seeing those invisible assumptions and making them visible, you already have a choice. And until that invisible conditioning is seen, you don't have a choice. You can be a badass in so many areas of your life and then go, why doesn't this work out? Why don't I feel fully like myself? Why am I not fully in the driver's seat of my life? I'm doing everything right. I'm independent. I kick ass. I do this. Why do I feel stifled in my romantic relationships? Or why is my money thing not working out? Or why is my creative thing not working out? And usually you can see, oh, there's this invisible thing. Once I make it visible, I can choose. So the first step is seeing, seeing the invisible rules. The next part is easier because you can choose to break them, right? And the the third part just goes along with it, which is creating new agreements. So seeing the rules, breaking the rules and creating new agreements. So if a woman in, in, you know, she can be in a house with kids and have a job and be doing it over Zoom while her partner's doing it over Zoom and she's doing dishes, you can have that scenario, that type of woman. There are many types of women that take my classes with many different scenarios, but you can have that type of woman and go, ah, I see all that I'm doing. I see all the silent agreements. I see, oh, I can continue doing them or I can break them and create a new agreement. I can create a new agreement with my partner. I can create a new agreement with my boss. I can create a new agreement. And those are primary because those three steps alone can have a lot of women just go and run and like, you know, start, start doing, start doing the work of of a good girl jailbreak, getting the fuck out. For the rest, we have specific curriculum and ways. How do you break an agreement? How do you, how do you see a rule? Which rules to look for? What are the common things, traps we fall into? What gets us stuck? What makes us freeze? How do you break those? How do you see them? How do you break them? And how do you create new agreements? How do you have a powerful, influential conversation where you get somebody on board who's kicking and screaming, going, no, I want things to stay the way that they are. You're going to pick up my dry cleaning or like, I want things to stay. They are women belong in the kitchen or even softer things. I want things to stay stay the way they are. You take care of mom, not me. Right. When somebody's kicking and screaming, how do you get them to calm down? so that their nervous system is receptive? How do you lock in their attention? How do you navigate their resistance so you can find out what the real fear, what the real concern is in order to move them and influence them in a really powerful way to create a new agreement? And right now, new agreement between two people sounds awesome, but new agreement for a new world on a larger scale sounds more than awesome. Because we're talking about a mi- micro moves that correspond to these bigger moves that can change the world. If you think about it, the entire world, the systems that we depend on, whether it's justice or law or how marriages work or money, money's an agreement. We just agree money exists and it exists. So the moment you get into the game of changing and creating agreements, you're getting into the game of creating a new world, whether that world is just for yourself because you want to make your life more productive, creative, fulfilling, efficient, wonderful. 
And if it's on a larger scale, creating a new world for everyone, same game, same way, same things. And, you know, I don't want any woman to underestimate the power of making her life great on others. And I don't want any woman to underestimate the value of actually giving a damn that this is a prime opportunity as the normal is crumbling to have a real say in what the new normal looks like. As all these structures start to fall apart, as you know, the economy, the pandemic, whether it's the U.S. elections or elections all over the world, everything's pretty nuts right now. So the destabilization can be a huge opportunity to create a new normal. And that's going to happen through making agreements. And for centuries, women weren't even invited to the negotiation table. Now we're there. We have to know how to speak powerfully to make those new agreements. It's not enough for us just to get a seat at the table. We have to be able to powerfully influence and create new agreements that set new precedents for how things are done in this world. Otherwise, frankly speaking, I don't know that humanity has any <laughs> has such a great shot. <laughs> yeah, especially if you live in the U.S. today. So I love everything you're saying, Kasha. And while you're talking, I'm, I'm going back to what we discuss in terms of crisis, right? And I mean, obviously, we're still living in COVID times. 2020 particularly has been like, oh my God, crazy, especially if you live in the US. So here's what I'm thinking and my thoughts and my reactions to everything you're saying. So I'm imagining, and the fact that you mentioned the beginning, you know, like women are writing less papers. I've seen those articles there and it's, it's up to women and everything. Here's kind of my perspective towards it. And I'm not saying this is the, the perspective that's like all true. I'm here to discuss um, this. So I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about the women I'm working with, right? Like a mother who has a job and, and like, you know, COVID has hit. Now daycare is closed. Schools are closed. They're at home. And the first thing that happened for me, and I know for so many other women, it's like, it's this, I have no idea what's going on and I have to kind of survive. So I guess the first response is like, what the fuck is this? I don't know what this is, but I got to deal with what's happening in my life right now. The kids are at home. They need to be homeschooled and so on and so forth. And so, you know, when, when both men and women start working at home, yeah, we can have a conversation of like, who is the one to actually, you know, take care of the kids, like homeschool the kids versus work and, and, and all of that. And so this conversation of who does what and all of that. And so I guess, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you're talking, there's a body response in my body of resistance. Not because I do not agree with what you're saying. I totally see it and I agree. But it almost feels like we're, we're disregarding. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's almost like within this conversation, we're disregarding the fact that we are mothers and like, it's not that we're, I don't want to, like, I don't think we're con conditioned to be mothers. You know, you can't condition the natural desire to be with your child and to be that motherly figure for your child in times of crisis and, and to play that role. I feel like in this discussion, sometimes we disregard, you know, women are not doing this. They're writing less papers. Well, they're writing less papers because number one is the primal natural desire is to be with, with my children. I don't care. It, honestly, in my case, when crisis hits, I don't care about my work. I don't care about my business. I want to be here and now with my family where 
what's most important for me. I want to be with my husband, all of that. And I believe that men react differently to that. You know, they will work longer hours. They will stay at home and write their papers because there's that natural protector provider, you know, mechanism in them, whether that's conditioning or not, we can talk about that. But like my whole work, as you know, Kasia, is that was kind of my next question of like, it's based on masculine, feminine polarity in relationships. Obviously, I work with women in relationships. And so that's why I totally agree with what you're saying. But at the same time, I feel like we can't disregard the dynamic that happens. And for a woman to say, right, all of these, for example, just invisible labor, but I'm doing all the agreements, like I'm fucking done with that. I need to like go and step up and take my power back. In this particular scenario of crisis, I'm not talking in general, but maybe that applies on a general broader level as well. It's like we still, women will always yearn to be taken care of, to be safe. You know, when I ask women, I talk to more than 300 women on discovery calls um, in the last, here's my update. You know, I created a group program. I'm working with women one-on-one. Women tell me that the uncovered desire that they can't even say today is that I want to be taken care of. I want to feel safe with my man and I want to be provided for. And that stems from just, I mean, biology, evolutionary psychology. Like I'm designed to be a mother. Whether you have children or not, it doesn't really matter. Polarity is always at play. So I'm curious, Kasha, what do you think about all of that? Where does that come into play? Okay, so you've given me a lot to respond to. So there's a lot of things I want to say. First of all, It's my belief that every human has a dominant and submissive side. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is women all have a submissive side, which means not just mothers, but women want to be taken care of. They want to feel safe. They want to feel protective. This is where the good girl autoresponder hidden needs and desires comes in because we do a lot of work in the hidden desires to be taken care of, to be protected, to ask from a place that sounds vulnerable, or maybe they're afraid it sounds needy, being adored, being worshipped. These things are really, really important if that desire lives in that woman for her to be able to say that, speak that, communicate it, ask for it, and receive it, and know that she doesn't need to earn it, know that she can ask for it and receive it and have it. I see that as something that's not exclusive to mothers and not even exclusive to women because there are ways in which men also really, really badly want to stop always having to be the man, the dom, the dominant, assertive one. They also want that like tender receiving in their own way. And I don't think that destroys masculine feminine polarity. And uh, as a matter of fact, when you strengthen your understanding of your own, say, dominant, submissive or masculine and feminine, it only makes the polarity between you and your partner, whether they be the same sex or the opposite sex, it only makes that polarity more vibrant and more exciting. And when both partners can be like, I'm the boss here, step off or get out of my kitchen. I'm the woman who knows who knows the kitchen. Get out. You know, out here in the bedroom, I want to be like the soft, delicate flower that gets deflowered. It's all good, right? Because these are all about this. That's all about uh, being able to receive and ask for what you want, those hidden needs and desires. And in a time of crisis, maybe a woman's a little less likely to even express those tender needs and desires of, I want a bath drawn me. I want a shower of rose petals on my naked body, right? The mother thing is that Absolutely. The primal desire to be connected with your child, with your infant is precious. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's an incredible strength. 
What I want to see is a world where men are not deprived of their fatherhood because of the pressures that are put on them in terms of what women do, what men do. Like we know those roles are changing. So we have to be honest about what we prefer, what works for us, what lights us up and where we are. And we have a world right now that is a lot of single mothers and a lot of absent satellite dads. And the role of fatherhood in this world could serve so well to do a lot of energetic balancing in this society. We have a very, very, very weak, masculine, weak father energy going on. And when a woman can be powerful in her communication and her influence, she can do many things. She can rise that man up to be the extraordinary father or the knight in shining armor or a very different role. She gets to choose and have some say in how the people in her life show up. Another thing that you talked about was changing values. COVID has absolutely changed our values. It's made us all be suddenly so much more appreciative of community, of understanding who really matters in our lives and what really doesn't matter anymore. And and the work of getting to your hidden needs and desires and not going into these assumptions about what's expected of me, right? Not going to the assumptions of, I have to be a high achieving, independent, overworked, powerful woman who looks like a superhero, but secretly is starving for affection and is a martyr for everyone else, but looks really good on paper. Screw that. Who wants to live like that? It's the bittersweet victory of the independent woman. I'm so independent. It's fantastic, but I do everything myself. No, that's not great. It's not great. And we're supposed to be happy when we achieve that. That's not community, not collaboration. It's not having support. It's not having alliances. And men, men have a lot of those secret support systems. So when you say that's a self-made man, it's bullshit because he has all the support he needs to be able to look like he did it himself, but nobody does anything good alone. Nobody does anything big alone. Nobody succeeds by themselves. So, you know, the isolation that comes with a lot of this patriarchal world that we live in doesn't work to our favor, doesn't work to anybody's favor. One of the opportunities in the pandemic is the, the changing of values and people getting really in touch with what they, what they actually care about. And whether it's, you know, motherhood and whether it's like a 50s housewife in the kitchen with an apron or whether it's, you know, a CEO woman or princess or whatever it is, is irrelevant. It's about seeing, choosing, breaking assumptions testing assumptions and creating new agreements. You know, you want to be the princess of your household or you want to be the boss of your household or you want, you know, like, and the primary problem with the good girl autoresponder is that it cuts us off from what we really, really, really want and stops us from communicating what we really, really, really want. Another thing is I did not mean to imply by any stretch of the imagination that because some women are reacting by going into what they feel they have to do and not what they want to do, losing access to their desire and feeling cramped, feeling good girl conditioned, feeling bound, that there aren't an immense amount of powerful women right now out in the world, breaking the mold, changing the picture of what it means to look like a leader, a woman leader, whatever. Like even in America, we have wonderful examples of what's happening. And it's just one of those times where all the extremes are showing up. So I'm not very attached to the masculine, feminine polarity idea, but... I feel it strongly enough to talk about it in my own language, which is the dominant, assertive, and the receptive, submissive, surrendered, connected. And with all the, the kind of like gender fluidity and the way that roles are changing, I like that there's room for us to play with how people show up. 
with how, you know, with how people show up, how gender is expressed. And there is something absolutely real about polarity, right? Like you feel it, but any couple, whether they're straight or gay can achieve incredible polarity if they're really, really honest about they want what they want. You know, like a badass feminist writer in my class who had to admit that she wants to have a submissive experience in bed was a big deal because she felt like it would make her a bad feminist. But that's actually exactly what she wanted, you know? Or, yeah. the, you know, and this, I, I, you know, I don't mean to focus too much on, on sex because this goes way beyond sex. But the same thing with the really sweet, lovely guidance counselor who gives, you know, kind advice all day, actually wants to come home and be the mega bitch in bed. Mm-hmm. It's about telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So I thank, thanks for commenting on that. It, I think, you know, it, it's so interesting how when I look at your work and when we talked about it two years ago, there's so many correlations in terms of embodiment. So since we talked, uh, Kasia, I want to remind you, you probably don't remember, but two years ago, I was four months pregnant and I was just finishing up my feminine embodiment coaching certification, right? So to bring you up to speed, uh, well, obviously my baby, she's going to be two in December crazy. We moved countries and things like that. But I also started working with women one-on-one in feminine embodiment. And really the modality that I use is dropping them into the body, from your head into your body, from your head into your body. That's the biggest challenge. They all, It's the story they create, blah, blah, whatever. And then I pivoted into actually working with women, helping them attract. So I think you'll understand it a bit better or I guess have that perspective because of the work that I do and it really resonates with women. And it's similar but very different because I think how you look at it, you don't have the, I mean, obviously because I'm very niche, right? So I help single successful women attract a committed masculine man. So it's very specific, right? And then since then, now I have a group coaching program and I'm helping them do that in groups. So here we are today, right? And so... That's why I think that how you look at it is different. You work with women, you see a world and obviously your experience with dominatrix and things like that. And you also don't look at this, gen- you probably don't even look at gender's binary, right? Right? Because your gender, you probably have the opinion that, I guess I could call it an opinion these days that, you know, gender might be fluid and gender expression. So yeah, it's really interesting. And it's not who's right or wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. But here's where I feel a really, really powerful overlap. And this is why I actually feel like we're doing exactly the same work in the world. And this is the most important part. And it's basically what you just said. You can call it feminine embodiment or women in their body, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to say good girl conditioning for the 75th time today. (laughs) But good girl conditioning is in the head. Good girl conditioning is in the head, right? When a woman drops into her body and experiences the raw, the tender, the real, emotions, then goes even deeper and feels her whole being, accesses her bodily wisdom, she is able to receive. And receiving is one of the most taboo things a woman can do. Deeply, deeply, deeply receiving and being nourished. Because women are not supposed to be that way. Not anymore, not the modern woman, right? And the wisdom that comes from the body, all of our, all of our courses that have anything to do with, I mean, all of our courses have everything to do with communication and all of our communication has everything to do with the body. 
Like if you feel rooted in your body, accessing your desire and you speak from that place, you are irresistible. You attract everything. The birds and the bees and the trees bend to your, your desire. You know, a really simple example, really, really simple example. And it's one of the fundamental things we teach in every single course. Really simple example is you could really want to hug because you're stressed out. You really want to hug because you're stressed out. I'm stressed out. I'm scared. I want to hug, right? If you're in your head about that fear, your body is not receptive to the hug. When you drop into your body and go, oh God, I am terrified and I could really use a hug. People on the subway who see you will want to hug you and they won't know why. But if you're in your head about it, and about how nobody's ever going to hug me and I'm all alone and I'm all stressed out and I don't really want to hug right now, then the people closest to you will want to step away and give you space because if you're not in your body, your body is not communicating correctly. And that's, that's you know, women who, whose bodies been, have been objectified, women who, you know, how many women you work with have had, had experiences where they had unwanted sex, not just rape and sexual violation? Probably most of them. So it's so easy for a woman to not be in her body. And that step towards embodiment is critical for communication, for love, for being unbound, for having the life you want, for just feeling good in your skin. And those things are not to be underestimated. And they're kind of critical to a woman's power. The first thing you do to take a woman's power away, take her power away over her own body, make her body a thing, whether it has to do with legislating rights about her body or make her her feel like her body's an object to be upset be assessed and that her body is a tool of pleasure for others could drop her in her body, have her be like, wow, like I feel good. I feel this. I feel that suddenly she's in the driver's seat of her own existence. Hi, girlfriends. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, You're listening to the episode, but I quickly wanted to jump in and let you know that I have prepared something exciting for you. If you're interested in polarity, femininity, and how to embrace your feminine and how to attract primarily masculine men in your life, this announcement is going to be very useful for you because I'm talking about my signature uh, training. Uh, I'm like, how do I describe this experience? Because it's really an experience, you know. This is a signature training, my one-hour webinar that I've put together. And it honestly, it's it's been through a few iterations in the last two years. But I feel like this is the best yet training of mine that didn't come from, you know, reading two books and three courses and like coming together in a copy-paste thing that I now advise women to do. No, this has come from me, my own lived experience through my dating life and through finding and attracting the masculine men of my dreams and then marrying him and creating a family. This also came, yes, indeed, from a lot of research and learning and courses and coaches and oh my God, you name it. You know, it's been a, it's been a journey of five years for me about that time. And also this has come from my clients. So the previous training, how is this different if you've signed up for another training of my which was the live female success, by the way. This is different because this is now coming through a distillation of my work one-on-one with women who I've helped get to that place where they're just attracting better men and they start attracting better masculine men and are on their way to actually to a relationship eventually. Not only masculine, but also masculine committed men. So if you are in a situation where you're attracting men that are less than desirable, let's say they're feminine men who don't want to lead, don't want to take charge, and men who are unavailable, then this training is for you. I will have to call 
all this training, how to start attracting your masculine committed men, basically in 30 days or less. And in this training, I will share with you some of the key things that I've learned throughout this journey that are helping. That's what my work with women is based on. So in this 60-minute training, you'll find the number one reason why you're still single and can't attract a committed masculine men. It's not what you think. How to break through the patterns of attracting unavailable or feminine men, as I said, and find your blind spot so you can attract the men you want. How to master the feminine masculine polarity so you start feeling taken care of, claimed, and finally be able to let go of control and uncover the lie of female success that's keeping you stuck, exhausted, and unfulfilled, which means in masculine energy all the time. So you can start living in freedom and joy and much, much more. So if you're interested, go to girlskill.com slash web sign up and I can't wait for you to see this training and to let me know how it went and by the way there's no replays for this so make sure you select the time that you can show up and be fully present all right I'm gonna jump off and you continue listening to this episode so I have a lot of questions let's talk about this because this is exactly what you said when you're in your body People don't even know they want to give you a hug, but they give you a hug. That is the principle that I explain and my work is based on when I work with women because there's so much and the lens that I work with women with is there's, I call it, there's so much in their masculine, which means push, 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 go, go, go. You know, I'm in my head. I need to achieve all of that. And that is actually repelling to the masculine or to most men when, when in relationships, I mean, and in relationships, I see it very clearly that that polarity works, whether it's subdome or masculine feminine. And so the foundation of my work is helping women like, all right, you can be that at work. And today you can be that woman, right? Like run a business, run your career, whatever. But that is not what's going to help you to attract. And it's all about attract your masculine man who you want to be with. Most women want to be, I say most, not all, but most women are really attracted to the guy who takes charge and who can lead her by the hand into the future. And so when I explain it to them, how does it happen? Feminine embodiment. Because when you drop into your body, it really, like things happen. And the more we do this work together, so I teach them. And, and I want to ask you, how do you do that, Kasha? Because obviously our method is different of how you do it, but we do the same thing. So I teach them to do, you know, feminine flow, for example, every day, which is really a five-minute practice. It can go to half an hour, whatever, pra- you know. It's really making those rigid angles and that frozen tension that's in the body, giving it avenues to release and let go and be in flow. And so when a woman drops from her head into her body and really starts listening and that develops sensitivity, and then when she does that for about two weeks, then we'll work on, you know, reframing limiting beliefs, conditioning. So, I mean, we do the same kind of work, but just we phrase it differently. So that's how I do it. And that's what happens. And they report back like, oh my God. And of course, we'll work on reframing limiting beliefs about men who men are you know so many women think that men are cheaters and pigs and you know open like turn on netflix what do you see toxic masculinity and that's and they're they're coming to me they're like actually i'm advertising on facebook a lot of women find me there with a headline well i have where are all the good men because that is the big question that women have i'm like they're everywhere in front of you (laughs) Yeah, they're everywhere. This is the world I live in. You live in your own world. Well, you think that there are no great men. All you see on TV, you look at the president. Of course, where are they? They're like, Alarova, where are they? (laughs) Tell me. Well, in your reality, you don't see them. And you're also not in your body. So that's what I do. And they report back and they're like, oh my God. Like after two weeks, they're like, I don't know what this feminine embodiment is, but oh my God, I see men just like asking me to help 
you know, to help me, you know, men are attracted to me. They're coming and giving me their number or whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's not. And they're like, what is this magic? And then they ask me, is this magic? How long this will end? Because that's not possible. And I'm like, yeah, it is possible. You just have no. So I just find it fascinating. So I guess what is my question to you, Kasha, is how do you do that in terms of body, like that embodiment, I guess? And I remember two years ago, we talked about exactly the same thing. And you were so like, I remember how grandiose our discussion was because you said humanity is totally disconnected from their animal bodies. Like animals, when there was a tsunami or giving me an example, you know, animals know to run and people are so disconnected from their primal instinctual natures that is underneath all of the conditioning societal disease, good, bad, good girl, bad girl, whatever, so that you know, and we, when we're able to access that, we know how to act. We know how to speak our desires and all of that. So, so I'm curious, what is your method, I guess, professional to professional that we work? And how do you do that with women in their bodies? I have my own technique, obviously, with feminine embodiment. But how, how do you do that? Let me try to speak to you in your language. So the first thing is that, you know, what I see happening is um, women no longer allowed to be feminine, right? This is the language you use, right? Women no longer allowed to be feminine. And then when you say going into their masculine, what I see is a world of toxic masculinity. So women are going into their toxic masculine coming across as bossy bitches, not being happy but being afraid to go into what you're calling the feminine men being disconnected from their bodies, being, you know, asked to disconnect from their bodies, to be able to do military service, to be able to, you know, not have feelings, suppress feelings, not have uh, emotional connections. They either go stay in a toxic masculine or what they do is toxic femininity. What men do in order not to be bad guys is some soft, weird yoga dude bullshit. It's not actually being connected with the surrendered state. And they, you know, they can do all the meditation, they can do all that stuff, but they're mimicking the worst parts of what the feminine looks like, just like women are mimicking the worst part of what masculine looks like. So I, I have like, you know, if I, if I was both a man and a woman, which I'm not, I would love to teach embodiment to both men and women in the exact way to make me like, Hey woman, you don't need to be a toxic man. You can be in, in your healthy feminine and in, in your surrendered and you can have authority and power, n- not in a toxically masculine way. It could be in your masculine in a way that feels like a boom with no hard edges, no armor, no angles, no sharpness. And for men, I would be like, yeah. And you can also get in touch with the deeper part of yourself without being an unreliable, creepy, wimpy, sneaky, overly emotional, mommy dependent, pathetic loser. Sorry to be so blunt. But like when I see, you know, men trying to access their feminine, there's nobody teaching them how to do it without being the worst parts of that, that. So, uh, and of course that's not going to be attractive to any woman, whether she is uh, someone who's looking for someone who's softer than her or stronger than her, whether she's looking for, you know, a male partner, a female partner, or, um, she's looking for two partners, one of each (laughs) getting in touch with the body and embodying has so much to do with creating space first for feeling. And we do a lot of work that is kind of embodied and performative in exaggeration. 
So exploring the alchemy of rage, exploring the alchemy of desperation, of sadness, of envy, of vengeance, of longing. There are different exercises for each of these, but they all have the same idea that when you repress an emotion, you're not in your body. So the first step to getting into your body is to give yourself the space to have all kinds of feelings and then move through it physically through performing. We do persona games, you know, the helpless damsel in distress gets to have a voice. She may sound like Scarlett O'Hara, wear a big hat in front of the mirror and go, woe is me. My life is so terrible. I'm such a victim until she feels something move. And when she feels something move, what's ugly in the beginning becomes beautiful. Sadness becomes tender desire. Rage becomes clarity and conviction. A feminine woman can have clarity and conviction, you know? So we don't have one method because we have 25 methods and it starts with how you handle each emotion and then how you physically move into it. And the, you know, especially the deeper parts of the school end up being very performative, playful and fun because we believe that the mark of some, someone who's truly powerful is someone who can afford to play. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. costumes, wigs, uh, alter egos, uh, <laughs> you know, naming, giving, give, giving your rage and bitchiness a name, giving your desperate, needy side a name, giving your delicate little flower, your little princess a name. Mm -hmm. So it's actually very, very similar, you know, it's because the four pillars of embodiment are awareness, movement, breath and sound. So what I do with women is pretty much the same. Like every single time we drop into the body and I do this in, in groups, it's like the first thing is feel. Like where is it in your body? How does it feel? What is the texture? Getting the details of that and simply witness that. And then the next step is to welcome it with movement, with sound, with breath. And I see you're doing role play. So I use the role plays. So yeah, it's super interesting. It's, it's a different, I guess, um, it's just a different method of doing it, but we're doing the same thing. I am so curious, Rao. There's a question I really want to ask you. Yeah. How do you guide, lead, and coach women in hostile environments? What do you mean by that hostile environment? A woman in her feminine, right? In your language, in her feminine. How do you guide them to set boundaries, make clear requests, handle mansplainers, people who talk over her, people who uh, overlook her, basically uh, horrible sexist situations. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it just kind of like she doesn't get into those situations if she embodies her feminine? No, not really. So number one, I think what happens is that I do not attract by default because of who, like my work and who I am and the resonance. I do not attract women who have who had tons of trauma are in, are, are in those hostile environments because my work is not trauma. I don't even want to say trauma-informed. I've had women who have trauma, but I usually get clients who are not in that situation to begin with. And I'm not the type of a coach who, like if a woman comes to me on a discovery call and I don't get them, uh, simply because of the way I talk, of who I am and my resonance. A lot of amazing practitioners out there are very much focused on that, you know, transforming your trauma and getting out of those situations. I personally do not get them. But the question about boundaries, because a lot of the stuff that you have in terms of, you know, the 10 behaviors and the unbound and all of this, in my world, this is where boundaries come in, right? And so I have a framework where I teach women about boundaries, but they're called embodied boundaries. But a lot of the times, because I'm in a specific niche and my program is really focused on attract your committed masculine men, 
We don't deal with work situations. We, we, we just deal with men. And so in, in situations where they come up to me and they're like, these guys crossing something, it doesn't feel right. I don't know how to behave in a certain situation. Most of them is just like dating or already in the relationship. I've had a woman actually who she's in a relationship and the guy was really physically violent to her. That was the first one. And I think the only one that I have, and number one, it's safety, right? So I, I literally talked to her. Do you have resources that you can contact and, and people around you that you can reach out and all of that? And then we dropped into the body of let's set up boundaries here. What are you available for? So she's feeling into that. Her eyes are closed. We're already in the body. So she's talking about what are her boundaries? What is she available for? Then what is she not available for? And then we really drop into the body and explore that. How does it feel to hold that boundary? And then we, I guess, amplify it. Well, I use that word and there's that upward spiral in terms of, because you can have your boundaries in the head, but they don't work because you don't know how that feels. And so yeah. I drop them and I anchor them into that sensation. So, and then I finish that session and it's all in a group setting of like, what is your action step there? And she, it comes from her I, as a coach. I don't tell her what to do. It comes from yeah. her. She's like, I'm going to do this next time. And then the homework that I give them is to practice. So then drop on your hands and knees in my feminine flow practice every day and practice, practice, practice. So your muscles remember and so your body remembers. And so that's just one simple boundaries exercise. but. That's how I would answer your question. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. I mean, it's it's so fascinating. I love, and obviously you're coming from, so your techniques and your embodiment, I guess, tools are coming from, I would assume both your dominatrix experience in the dungeons for 10 years and plus your Taoist experience and, and teachings that you've learned from there, right? Yeah. My big picture dream, my big vision, and my big feeling about it is that women are going to save the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Dalai Lama said, right? The Western woman is going to say the West. You said the Western woman is going to save the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so I'm in business of figuring out how, you know, how. Yeah. And I'm going like, let's do this. Let's do this for real. And I don't mean, you know, a few women here and there in symbolic positions of leadership acting like men. I mean, like, let's really do this. Let's have a world that's led and saved by women. Like, let's do this 100%. Let's just do this. Mm-hmm. At this point, all bets are off. What country well, are you in right now? I'm in Australia now. Right. Australia is not in such great shape either. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty It's pretty bad everywhere. It's like no matter where you are, it's pretty fun. But let me ask you when you say, I want to see women leading and being the lead. Where, where do men come in? I mean, do you see a world where men like do not play picture in that? Or how, how, how do you look at that, at that future? The women need so much focus right now that men will find their place. But right now it's time for women to find a new place. Like, yeah, men make great allies to women. Men are so happy to be in support of and in alliance to women. It's what I believe their natural state is to support women. It's when they like, you know, the, this is such a stereotypical thing. It's a bit old fashioned, but I think it still holds true is that like women withhold what they really, really want and get really angry and men get more clueless over time and they give up. 
And I think what, you know, when you say, you know, limiting beliefs about men, like one limiting belief I see is the assumption that men don't want to please women and make them happy. And I think it's absolutely wrong. Most of the men I meet actually secretly want to, they're just in a state of hopelessness about it. And I've had so many experiences with women where they don't say what's going to make them light up. They don't tell them where the secret spot is. They themselves not embodied, don't know. So, you know, women get angrier and angrier, men get dumber and dumber. Women don't ask for what they want and need and think that that's a virtue. And instead it leaves the man useless, turns him into a worm, makes him further, further away. Like I think men's natural role in this world is they love to make women happy and we won't give it up. We won't let them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what like, you know, let your man lead kind of, you just got to let him. Yeah, I got to stop you there because even that language is just like, no. Doesn't resonate? Yeah. <laughs> maybe in a dance, you know, <laughs> women's desire leads, but maybe men can do more of the work. I don't know. Well, I guess, yes, women's desires lead, but in my language, it's like, let your men lead in a relationship as in like, step back into your feminine. And I guess step back is also not a language that is a great language, but being in that surrendered state, like what I see a woman in her body, in her desires. I know, I know what miracle you're talking about. I know what magic you're talking about. It's, it's the kind of thing where she lights up and she's truly herself. I know exactly what you're talking about. She doesn't need to control it. There's no control. And and, here's, here's the thing that I'm, this, this is my point of argument. There's a correlation in men. There's a correlation in men where they also can step into a zone where they're in their magic. And it also does not look like toxic masculinity. And it's a place of embodied truth. And like neither of us are in the business of getting men there. We're counting on leading women to get men there and, and their sisters, right? Like, and the other women in their lives there. Yeah, I've interviewed quite a few, I mean, on on this podcast, uh, you know, in the last two years since we talked about, I've interviewed men who do male's work, which is predominantly masculine embodiment and working with men to claim their masculinity, to stand strong in their healthy masculine, not the destructive, you know, unhealthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Really stand strong in their power to breathe into their chest and to hold space, you know. And I interviewed another guy called Ben Goreski and he said, my job here, I'm here in service of the feminine. And when women realize and like, you choose, men adjust to your, I, I talk about this in the whole program. It's like, you choose, men adjust to your behavior. You can see a, a woman is like a barometer for men. And they constantly go around being like, what, what do women want? What does she want? Whether it's, you know, to get into her pants, whether to get on a date, whether to have, to, like, what does she want? Like, it's like, that's what they're obsessed about. Women don't understand this. They think that it's the patriarchy they're leading. But when, so I know, I know, you know what I'm talking about. It's just the language that I use in terms of specifically in relationships. And I, and I chose, because when we talk with you, Kasha, my quest or my mission was redefining female success. So actually yeah. back then, two years ago, we were much more aligned in our mission now I've pivoted and changed simply because I went for the pain. And the biggest pain that the modern woman is dealing today, all of them tell me, I hit all the boxes, I'm the full package, where is yeah. the man? You yeah. know? And I yeah. went for that because I saw such a big pain and women are like, oh my God, signing up, like, you know, drawing like like bees to honey because they can't freaking figure it out. They're like, I have everything. Where is my man? You know, so many of them. And, you know, these are women like very successful at the top and their clock is ticking. That's why for me, everything 
I guess the ultimate argument comes down to biology. You know, the clock is ticking. She wants children or she doesn't want children, but she wants a man. And she's like, that's it. I'm going to pay any money I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. Like, give me the freaking guy. Where is he? Where are all the great men? So that's the change that I see. You know, that's that's really what makes me get up in the morning to help women be themselves, drop into their feminine or in their body, let go of control. And I call it surrender and discover the power within that. And then men are like, so many men tell me, I'm like, they tell me, I want a woman who's ambitious, who knows what she wants, but who's in her body and who's, fe- who's feminine. That's what they're attracted to. So it's kind of that balance. And I want to ask you here. So it's just another thing I wrote down, Kashi, is feminine leadership. And I don't know if you would call it feminine leadership, but I feel like that quality that you talk about, a woman in her body, and I want to share that with you. And I'm curious, I mean, I'm sure you have so many thoughts around this. I had the biggest, so the, the past six months for me has been like exponential growth in terms of who I am, the income I bring with this business and everything. So I'm still kind of like, who is this new woman, you know? And for me, I realized somewhere down the line, I'm like, holy shit, my power. And I know you talk about money. Your course is starting in like three days. Unfortunately, you know, when this episode is going to come out, your course is going to be in full swing. But I realized that my, as in success, abundance in terms of riches, in terms of the life that I want, the lifestyle, experiencing life to the fullest lies in my pretty much vagina, (laughs) you know, and my sex. And I keep asking these questions different. I'm like, that is so freaking bizarre. You never think about that. Yes, I'm connected to my body. I'm doing my feminine flow. I'm not perfect, but you know, I've kind of mastered that. Now I'm coaching other women. And now I'm honestly looking for a teacher who can connect pretty much my pussy to my income, but in a way that's not masculine. I found a few women who do that, but they're like pussy power and blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want soft. I want a woman who is like, who can guide me there without being a man (laughs) pretty much so i'm curious have you i mean you obviously have experienced that because you've worked with sexual energy and erotic energy and and i wonder why that happens and yeah what are your thoughts on that well first and foremost when a woman is connected to her vagina or her pussy the root of her body she's fully embodied so her signal the signal that she broadcasts what she's putting out there what she's receiving starts to match So, you know, there's total, again, like good girl reaction, which is somebody offers you something. Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. No, thanks. I'm fine. I'm low maintenance. I'm no trouble. Right. Come on. Let's be real. There's no such thing as a low maintenance woman. We all want everything all the time. So the first part that just in terms of money, it's just that all desires start being easier to met, be met, especially financial ones when a woman is rooted in her pussy and in her vagina and her body. It's like, you know, if you say, if you say, oh, I'm in my body, but I can't feel my pussy, you're not fully in your body. Why is that? It's one of the major, I mean, just neurobiologically, it's like there, you're talking about an immense amount of nerve endings. You're, it's your nervous system. We want to be able to have our entire nervous system connected so that we can receive just on a scientific level information accurately, you know? And when a woman can feel when she's aware of her pussy, she's aware of how she is responding when her whole nervous system, she can really feel how she's responding. She automatically glows when the thing she wants in the direction of her growth comes along and she automatically contracts when something not in her growth comes along. 
So, you know, the way magical money opportunities happen, they can be so magical. They can be so coincidental. They can also be very logical. You know, when you ask for a raise at your job, you know, if you're embodied and alive and your pussy's involved in the conversation, by that, I do not mean you're doing a strip dance on an office desk. I mean, if you're there and feeling rooted in your power, when we're talking about power, it's pleasure, it's power, it's your whole nervous system, it's your whole beating, it's the animal of your body, your whole animal is present. The communication is clear. The broadcast is clear. Sometimes you don't even have to ask. And, and, and in less logical circumstances, it's those wonderful serendipitous coincidences. You're, you know, these days it's hard to say you're at a party or you're like out, but you have a conversation with somebody say over zoom and you don't even really mention money, but you're, you're broadcasting a certain kind of energy. And then they are talking to somebody else about an opportunity. They remember your name. Why did they remember your name over somebody else's name? They got your signal. They got your message. They felt you know, you, if you're talking about, you know, dating, it's the same thing. Like, oh, I know a great partner for you. Like they remember because they felt your signal. You don't even have to speak it. The other thing about money is like, this is again, very kind of a big picture look. You know, if you look at money, you really, really do have to look at how recently women went from being property to being able to own property. Really in terms of humanity, it's like five seconds ago. It just happened, you know? Women and children were property and we only got access to money and to be able to earn a living or to be able to control finances or have any say in the economic system or any of that very recently. But our conditioning and our ways of being about it have not caught up. So women have like weird signals when it comes to money. They're afraid to talk about money. They're ashamed to ask for money, ask for raises. Like uh, this incredible, I remember, I'll never forget this. There's that tech website. This was a story in the news for a minute in America, but there was this tech jobs website where they realized that women were asking for much, much lower salaries than men. So they started and displaying and that's the pay gap, by the way. Yeah. And so they started broadcasting charts. They started showing charts, average ask of pay in, in a chart so that women and men knew, you know what happened? Women started asking for even less and men started asking for even more. So it's not in the head. It's, you can't, you can't fact your way out of this one. So when a woman is embodied and connected to her pussy and connected to her desires and broadcasting that her, it's legitimate, deserving and right to, to, for her to have what she wants when she feels shameless about what she wants, regardless of like the nature or color texture of it, whether it's money or a masculine man or a masculine woman, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. Like whether it's a, it's a, it's an opportunity to open a gallery or a, a position as head of state. You look at like, I hate saying this, but you look at some political women and some are more connected to their pussy than others. And the ones that, you know, the, the feeling you get in your body when you watch a woman on the screen, who's connected and embodied. Who is, is that? She, what? Can you give us examples of, you say political? Okay. Give me some examples of political women who are connected to her, to, to their pussy. In America, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Uh-huh. How do you distinguish that visually? When I, the first question you asked me is what, what my superpower is. I'm a body reader. So I can tell you how numb a woman's pussy is from 10 feet away. <laughs> and is it consciously that she's connected? Because I don't imagine her. I know, I know who you're talking about. I've seen her a couple of times. I don't imagine her doing like erotic dances and like having a yoni egg in and, you know, having lots of sex. I mean, maybe she does, but is this a conscious choice? Like, do you think that she does that? Or some women are just so naturally connected to it? I have absolutely no way I can speak about what 
AOC does with her pussy. You know, there's no way for me to say that. I have no clue. But I know, you know, when you get on the phone and you hear a woman's voice, you can hear how connected she is with her body. You can hear it. You can hear it. You can feel it. And everyone can hear it and feel it if they know what they're listening for or if they know what they're looking for. We have enough women who are embodied on this planet. It's become, it'll become more obvious what that looks like, what that feels like, how radiant it is, how, you know, how a woman who's embodied can say, can call someone an asshole and not ruffle a feather in the room. You know, have the, you know, she, she can get, she can get away with so much. And the woman who's not embodied can't even ask a question without irritating the hell out of everybody. Mm -hmm. And those women who have it, doesn't, my question, I guess, is like, does it come naturally to her? How and why? What is the difference? I, and it's I know spectrum. it's a spectrum because even if I look at my students coming in, some of them have done other work. You know, some of them have explored a lot. Some of them haven't. Some of them, you know, have jobs or careers that are closer to embodiment, like being, you know, not necessarily being mm-hmm. a dancer. I've seen some pretty, you know, pussy disconnected dancers, but. I think it's a spectrum and it's not even a linear spectrum, you know, but it's a spectrum. I know how to get a woman from where she is to deeper, but I don't know how she got where she, you know, at the starting point she arrives at, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, I, you know, you know, you and me, frankly, confessing we're on that deeper journey of embodiment all the time. I mean, do you ever disconnect? I definitely disconnect sometimes. Oh, okay. This funny story. <laughs> This was hilarious. <laughs> so in regards to that, I'll give you an example. I yesterday, so I three times a week I go to the gym and there's a spa there and then there's a sauna. I don't know why it happened yesterday, but I was just kind of in the spa and you know, there's only two people allowed in this little spa slash jacuzzi. <laughs> and I was just there in the jacuzzi and I was kind of, you know, like rolling around and things. And so it happens is that, you know, my vagina was kind of like just next to a, a jit, like a <laughs> <laughs> pillar, and then I was kind of, you know, and then I felt and like kind of, and I, and I went a little bit closer to it. Holy moly! There was a guy next to me, like a meter and a half, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna orgasm in like a few seconds. <laughs> and I stayed there, and it happened. And I'm like in the gym, there's people, and I'm like, holy moly, this needs to happen again. So, anyways, I had it, I had it twice for the first time in my life. I've heard stories like this, but I'm like. No. And then I texted my girlfriend and she was laughing her ass off. And and then the whole day after that, and I know Naomi, what was her name? Naomi Wolf. She has this book, Vagina, where she talks about this. And that whole day, I didn't give a shit. I was just like, <laughs> life is amazing, you know? Yeah. And it's that state that I want to cultivate further. I know it doesn't need to be in the in an orgasm. I've interviewed quite a few women who have courses and things like that. But for me, it's really about that. It's becoming so much more clear. And I mean, you asked me, am I just go, I mean, I have, all right, I have a child. We have sex like once a week. It's scheduled. It's great. There, I think I told you last time, like me and my husband started doing sensual thing every week. And that's pretty much it, Kasha. Like, honestly, I don't have a self-pleasure practice, which I should. I have my yoni egg and I have my crystal dildo and things like that. But I'm not. And I know, like, there's so much potential there. Like, where it's I'm at, it's like nothing. I, I've just barely scratched the surface. So this is my next area of interest of how can I. And I really believe when we talk about feminine leadership, it's that. 
it's women just like being in that. And that's what I do with women. It's actually my job is the easiest one. I don't tell them what to do. Like, I mean, we talk about practical things, but it's all about, I know I need to drop them into their body and I need to guide them to find their own answers. And the answers always come out. That is the yeah, future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The answers are always in the body. The body knows. I, I believe ecstasy is a, a woman's natural state. It's absolutely the most natural expression. And ecstasy is even the wrong word because ecstasy comes from ecstasis, which means having a state outside, coming out of yourself. But let's just go with how we understand ecstasy to mean like, yeah, you give zero fucks when you're well fucked or when you're well pleasured, when you're pussy satisfied, your nervous system changes, your biochemistry changes. Self-pleasuring is, you know, being able to feel yourself. I mean, one of the ways that we do, we go about that again is through the emotions. Cause first, when you can feel your emotion as physical sensations, you can feel the orgasmic potential of even something like sadness, despair, grief, and rage. You can feel like the sensations. Wow. If I look at the sensation, not as a sign that's something's wrong with me, but I can really go into my romantic sadness and I can feel all the feelings in my belly and in my pelvis and in my breast. I can feel the heaviness of my chest and heave my breasts around, you know, like that's, it's, and, you know, we're using a lot of language for things that there is, that is beyond the level of language. It's, it, it, it doesn't matter what we call things. Cause you and I both know that in our practices, when we see it, we see it. It's nature. It's the nature of, of a woman blossoming. It's her nature showing up. And you can use words to describe that, or you can point to like every art form on the planet and how it attempts to describe that state. And how all of the structures that we have around, even things like advertising, do, do everything to give us the junk food mimic of it, not the real experience. Because the truth is, it's like the sleeping beauty myth. You know, Our sexuality isn't awakened by Prince Charming. We're not in a coma until he awakens and inserts desire into us. Our desire is pre-existing. <laughs> it's something that's ours inside of ourselves. And that sleeping beauty myth, along with every, you know, piece of bullshit advertising about, you know, fixing yourself up and rather than feeling, you know, women can cast beauty spells no matter what they look like. and has everything to do with being in their pleasure and embodied. Like, and I'm sure you've seen this too, the way a woman's face changes when she goes into that state. She just oh looks God. gorgeous, stunning, breathtaking. And all of a sudden like age and weight and all that does not matter at all. She's irresistible. Yeah. I mean, all of that is, is bullshit. I mean, it, it, you know, all of that is like icing on the cake. It's just the cherry on top, obviously, but you can be in your messy hair, no makeup, like who cares? Extra kilos. If you're in your body, like whatever, men don't, men don't even care. It's all in women's heads about our shapes and all of that. Yeah. And you can also be in all the right makeup and all the right clothes, but be completely disconnected from your body and just be a trophy, a symbol of beauty, but not actually feel it or be able to share it or transmit it and not, not be very attractive, actually. Yeah. I have a name from our episode. Wake up from the sleeping beauty coma. <laughs> yeah. I love how you're using that. Our desire is pre-existing. So one question before I want to catch up and you tell us what happened with you in the last two, two years, because uh, I know you're now in Hawaii. So I'm curious as to why you're there in the first place. But and then we'll talk about your book and everything. So when you said, you know, I mean, absolutely true. I agree with you. I feel it. A woman's power is in her pussy. And when she's connected to her body and her desire, like she can move mountains. That's that's very clear to me. But I'm curious, what do you feel or think about what's on the men's side 
like what's on that polar opposite side in men's bodies because it's, it, is it is it in the penis? Is it in the same way? Because it doesn't seem to be in the same way in the way they experience orgasm, for example. No, women getting embodied and locating their pussy—it's like where where like that getting that location is very important for a woman. For a man, it's a whole body affair. Men are from a very young age trained to dissociate, disconnect, and distrust everything that's going on in terms of their internal experience and go even more to the head. So the penis isn't going to cut it because the penis is already symbolized. Like it's already, there's a lot of attention on the cock. It's a whole body thing. It's a whole body thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's in the sensitivity of the skin. It's like where, you know, it's, it's all of it. That's really interesting. And I'm just thinking about the, the difference of, of why. Like for a woman, the pussy. But for a man, okay, if it's not, it's, it's a whole body experience. So it's getting them in touch more with just being present and now. And what are you sensing? What are you feeling? And I still feel, so I want to comment on what you mentioned, Gosh, because in my experience, it's, yes, the role are changing, but it's also up to us how we see the world and what world we want to live in. because. Honestly, I don't want to live, and this is my personal opinion, in a 50-50 non-binary world. That's a world that's not attractive to me. You know, I get juiced up about men and women playing their polarities it just in my personal relationship. And maybe these will change, but it's also up to us. How, how does that, but what about the workplace and what about government and what about in, the, in all those social structures? So... Great question. Like I'm a specialist in relationship, but in work and government, this is what we talked about. It's like what we talked about with you, embodied womanhood. So it's it's a woman, again, connected to her body, connected to her sexuality, who leads, but she leads differently than a man would lead, you know? And, and it's a yeah. combination of both. It's that polarity where a masculine, healthy man can hold the space, make decisions and show up in a way that a woman, like, I'll give you practical examples. We, we always talk about this with my husband. Women work differently than men. They're, because they're more in touch with their bodies, because obviously biology, children and everything, they work less than men. It doesn't mean they work, they work worse or not efficiently, but even in terms of hours and risk and, and edge, risk-taking and living on the edge, that's a very masculine journey. And statistically speaking, it's not that women like, the, the, you know, in, in one of most egalitarian societies, I think it was the research was done in Norway, one of these Nordic countries, one of the most egalitarian societies. And when you look at choice, women do not choose to be in positions of when there's a lot more risk taken, right? When, when there have are you studied matriarchal societies? I have not studied them, but I've read a lot about them in terms of um, evolutionary psychology. And there's a lot of theories about how that works. And actually in evolutionary psychology, one of the studies that I've read is there's actually no difference in terms of matriarchal society. And there are very few, very, very few. And they're not seen today simply because, oh, well, anyways, we can discuss this. But what I've read, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this, is there's actually no difference in how, how things are structured and done because it's power, essentially, and it's a masculine way of structure, hierarchy, and all of that. And a woman having that, it, like, it, it's not as satisfying, because deep down, her primary yearning and desires to be taken care of and be protected. And again, we go back into biology and evolutionary psychology of why. Women tend to be more in groups. We tend to 
lead in groups and it's because, you know, we had to protect our children. Being So there's so many things that are going into play. I don't have the, all the answers, but that's what I know now. <laughs> what is your opinion on that? <laughs> I mean, we're discussing right. big subjects. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what kind of opinion to have about what you just said, because I don't really know if there's a question or there's a point to refer to. You know, if we're going to start talking about studies, you know, I can talk about the matri- matriarchal societies in Africa that existed even in the 1800s or talk about the difference between chimpanzees and bonobos and how like they existed in groups and men and women fucked each other. You know, the males and females like all had sex all the time and they were very peaceful and the others were very warlike. And, you know, I, but then we're then we're kind of talking about the head and I can like I love a life where a woman gets to choose. You know, that's, that's primary. And if she wants to go and have three lovers of different genders or one partner for life or live in community and have lots of different kinds of erotic experiences or live inside the very traditional family uh, structure, which I'm personally not a fan of. I don't think it's realistic. I think that, uh, you know, heterosexual culture and the traditional family structure is a new invention our ideas of love are a new invention and it's really unrealistic the way we set things up in order to expect an entire village and community from one other partner. I think it's incredibly unhealthy. I'm not talking about polyamory here. I really am talking about choice and I'm talking about what works and what doesn't work in isolation and counting on one person. I'm not talking again about a person being not dependable and not providing and not being protective. I mean, really getting to choose and experience the entire spectrum of what's possible on a lifetime on earth and it being available and and it's being possible for a woman, you know, my students, like some, some of them get really inspired by the kind of like sex bomb idea or the dominatrix idea. And they have, you know, five lovers or, uh, you know, 15 submissives and they have a ring of boy toys, you know, like previously a housewife, kids graduated, uh, left to, to college, husband left her. And now she has seven 20 year old lovers and one partner her age who she tells all the stories to you know like the the the, some of them some of them try their first experiences with women some of them you know do you know like the the lockdown on what's supposed to what's disallowed is huge and one of the things that you're talking about is a woman's desire to have a strong man and be protected and surrender to me is one of those things that's forbidden and taboo and what you're doing is breaking that taboo with me. Like w- women who have this desire, you're absolutely right. And what I'm saying is women, whatever desire you have in terms of how you want to structure, how you play with your pussy and other cocks and pussies and families and how you build, are you, are you building a commune? Are you going to have Swiss family Robinson? Are you going to have like, you know, one devoted best female friend who functions like a spouse, but you don't have sex with, and then two boy toys, and then a father figure, go for it, you know, and here's how you get it. I'll show you how to do it. And just like you, I don't tell women what to want. (laughs) They tell me what they want once they've gotten into an embodied state. And then, then I go like, okay, guess what? You can have it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where, that's where the journey begins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I totally get it. Um, and, and I really respect that. And I see where you're coming from. That's not my experience, but it doesn't mean that I like what you're talking about. Now I say, I don't want that, but maybe I'm lying to myself. Maybe if I go deeper in the rabbit hole of power and pussy pleasure and everything, maybe I'm going to want, you know, three partners at a time and I'm going to be like, husband, I'm going to go or whatever. Let's, let's create a new agreement because <laughs> now I see it. 
then I can break it. And then I can, you're going, I don't know. That's not my experience right now. And, and I think it really depends. It's, it's so individual. Yeah. So anyways, let's move on. Uh, we're having a fascinating conversation. So catch us up, Kasha. What happened with you in the last uh, two years since we spoke? You know, you, you have a book coming up and you're now in Hawaii. Well, what happened since 2018? Oh, I mean, in, in some ways so much and in some ways so little because everything's been along the same trajectory. I gave a TED Talk to 10,000 people. 10,000 like, people. Live in a room. Live. Is yeah, that it the had to be TED Talk? A, I thought it's it had to be one. No, it was last, last year, was it? Um, but it was since 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I finished my book. <laughs> awesome. Unbound. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've created a lot of a lot of really fun things for the school. Oh, one that's not open or announced yet, but I'm really excited about. It's a virtual mistress mansion where, in each different room, you get to go on an adventure and express a different side of yourself. A lot of the last, obviously, a lot of the last year has been also for me reassessing my values and what I care about. And obviously a lot of that is influenced also by being in the United States and being really concerned about the fate of humanity <laughs> and being really concerned about the kind of world that, you know, infant children are inheriting. So in a lot of ways, like my teaching has not at all become political at all, but my personal motive has become much more activist. I think that a woman's pleasure is an activist act, but so is liberating her voice and removing the obstacles to what I believe is a natural state of power and self-expression that is not only charismatic and compelling and irresistible, but also can be incredibly commanding, clear, precise. You know, when you're talking about masculine and feminine qualities, I mean, like badass bitches, you know, badass bitches who, who aren't afraid to wear heels, who aren't afraid to express themselves how they want. And I am really concerned about the world. You know, I am really, really concerned about the world and building an army of women who are badass enough to make sure that they get theirs and they're leading from an orgasmic place, but they're actually changing laws and changing social structures and changing social norms, changing social convention and creating the world as they see fit is critical to me. That includes what a family looks like. That includes our economic system. That includes all of that. You know, one of our students is, you know, negotiating with a dictator in another country in order to save the Amazon. Another of, of ours is, is meeting with Muslim clerics in order to prove that the Quran actually supports female sexuality. Another one of our, you know, they, they like some of them really go out and they go out to change the world from a whole embodied pussy connected way. And some of them just create legendary lives and legendary loves for themselves. And we don't make any distinction between selfish and selfless because really it's the life that you want, you know, choosing the life that you want to live in the world that you want to live in. If it's small or if it's big makes no difference. It's, this is free will, right? Free will and the full expression of one's own will, desire, and love is what matters the most. And, and again, like we are coming from a time where for a very long time, women didn't even have a voice, much less a chance to check in with themselves about what they wanted. They were choosing from a very limited menu, a very limited menu of options. And now the menu is big and still bigger than we realize. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of things have happened, I guess. I mean, big and small things, but um, yeah. Awesome. All right, Kasha, we're going to finish here. Tell us about your book. Tell us about Unbound. And uh, I know it's on available in pre-order now. 
Unbound, uh, A Woman's Guide to Power. The publication date just got moved, so it's going to come out March 9th, right after Women's Day, International Women's Day. Unbound, A Woman's Guide to Power is what I recommend every woman do if she can't take a class, because it really, it really goes through all of the tools that we have in order to access what you truly want, move through all of your different emotional states, understand how to get embodied and feel legitimate about asking for what you need, understanding that asking somebody for more creates a bigger role for them. It's not a burden how to do that, how to influence, then also what to do if you're being, you know, uh, disrespected, compromised, attacked, and how to navigate a difficult situation, how to navigate a difficult negotiation, and how to become absolutely immune to hearing the word no. So when you hear the word no, you're not thrown off your course, but you continue to play powerfully. And then the, the ending is basically about creating new agreements to create a new world and really living a life that's as unique and unconventional as you are, no matter what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So tell women where can they pre-order it or, you know, find more about your work. They can pre-order it at any book, major bookseller, everything from Amazon to all of the sellers. And if, they, if, if any listener is interested in checking out my website or website, it's weteachpower.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So we're going to have all the links to everything you mentioned in the show notes. Kasia, thank you so much. As usual, it's a pleasure connecting with your force. Uh, your for- what are you doing <laughs> in Hawaii? My last question. Oh, um, me and my friends came here for a vacation a week before COVID hit. And then we got trapped in paradise and we've only been adding people and adding people. So the community is building and we're a community on a deserted remote island in the South Pacific, like with nobody but us here. And it's a ball. I'm sure it is. I can't wait to to to, to come and, and visit. Um, and you you've got Wi-Fi, so you can do your work online and remote. So that's perfect. I can do everything from here. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, Kasha, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll speak again in a year or maybe earlier. We'll see. <laughs> thank you. It was nice talking to you. All right, beautiful women. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Kasia Urbaniak. And I, if you did, and I know you did, I would love to ask you to please, please charge your karmic energy and share this episode with a girlfriend who you feel like really, really needs to listen to this, which I think, you know, all women need to. So you can send her straight to girlskill.com slash 171. So it's episode 171. Here's where you'll find all the show notes and everything Kasha mentioned, um, you know, links to her book and link to her TED Talk and all of that. So go ahead and do that. And don't forget to leave a review and a rating on the podcast. And again, if you have any questions, uh, DM me on Instagram. You can find me at Anna Rava. All right, keep running with the wolves, stay embodied, feminine, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. All right, girlfriends, hope you enjoyed listening or watching to this episode. And if you did, and if you resonate with most of the things I'm saying, and you want to learn more, and you want to finally start attracting masculine men, I have an invitation for you. So as you know, I am committed and passionate about helping successful women attract and keep committed masculine men. So I have a personal invitation for you. If you're resonating with everything and you're ready to step up and invest in yourself and take things to the next level, I'd love, love, love to talk to you and see if you would be a fit for my work and what I do. And so 
basically what I'm doing is I'm inviting you and it's a personal invitation if you, only if you resonate because I don't work for, with everyone and I'm not here to just, you know, make a quick buck and whatever. I'm here committed to your result and I will make sure that we go until the end and that we get you the result that you want, which is start attracting better men. So I invite you to sign up to actually apply for a free discovery call with me. It's a call that is one hour long. And what we do is we talk about your current situation, where you are today, and what's wrong, quote unquote, wrong with your dynamics with men, what you don't like. And then we're going to talk about what you really want and where you want to get. And at the end, if I find that that's a good fit, I'll tell you what I do and I'll offer you to join us and uh, how we could work together. So just to give you a bit of context, this, is, this experience is all about and what I'm going to offer to only if I find that that's a good fit is about number one, putting yourself in the best position to start attracting committed masculine men and not through tactics and techniques or tips, tricks, whatever, but just by being you and understanding and appreciating men, thus creating a deeper relationship with yourself as a feminine essence woman and attract better committed masculine men. Number two, it's all about letting go of overworking perfectionism and the need to control by overcoming your limiting beliefs, patterns, and obstacles to rediscover your worth and enoughness and rebuilding your faith in your own voice, in your own decisions, and exploring your boundaries and so on and so on. Number three, it's all about letting your body lead. Stop overthinking and start trusting your gut and your heart when it comes to making decisions, expanding and embracing your range of emotions, cultivating sense of awareness and pleasure and feeling more without apologizing for it. And I know if you're here, you understand and you know that the path to your masculine man who's a conscious, healthy man is through you, is through embracing your feminine nature, is through running with the wolves and embracing your wild feminine side and actually gaining power from it. And a healthy masculine man will only be attracted to that if you get to that place yourself. And last but not least, it's all about becoming deeply connected to yourself as a woman. Understand what true femininity is exploring deeper levels of intimacy, and finally becoming free, lighter, and open. Embracing basically the feminine side of polarity, because again, this is what your masculine man wants. And it's all about stop living in the masculine energy by pushing, doing, and choosing all the time and start living enjoy freedom and your wild nature where you can surrender, where you can finally let go. Trust me, this is an amazing place to be and it's easy and joyful and it feels natural and feels like a woman. So if you resonate, go to girlskill.com slash apply and there's going to be a short survey, step one. Just apply there and then the next step is to schedule a call with me. It's going to be an hour. We have fun on this call, so I hope to see you there. And my, my calendar is booked for another, I mean, booked. My calendar is open for another week. So go ahead and do that. If you don't see times that are available for you, make sure you email me because I'll always make time for you to make sure that you get your spot. All right, girlfriend, keep running with wolves and I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>